You're listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. For more information, find us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. So I, I have a question for you on decision making. I was in your car the other day and you've got this massive torn seat and you, you're driving a, a nice BMW and, and you've not replaced this seat. The seat looks horrible. How, how, do you, how do you not just fix that? Well, for many reasons. Let's hear them. First of all, first of all, I appreciate your attempt to shame me for my for, for your worn out seat, leather seat. Ghetto yes. in this, you know. It's in it it doesn't make sense in a car that nice to have a seat that looks so horrible. I disrespect the status symbol of a BMW. Oh, is, was that your plan? You you just thumbing your nose that at was society. My I want to I want to intentionally I want it to bother other people. In fact, I get much more satisfaction out of the fact that it bothers you than I get dissatisfaction out of having it, a Am I to believe seat. this This is a conscious decision not to fix this worn out seat in your car? This is to spite people who care far too much about material items such as cars. <laughs> it's You realize... The, and you recognize that that is the position I must take. I, th I think you're lying to yourself because you're going to have to get that fixed along with the hail damage on that car before you try and sell that. Unless you're just going to drive thing. it okay, into the You're making the it sound like I'm just driving a beater around town. I bought a used car. Always buy used cars. I, 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 I've never bought a new car. It's a nice car. I liked it. It was a lot nicer when I bought it. You yeah, it, it already had. It already had a torn seat. Okay. Fix it. The, that tear does not disrupt the functionality of the That's seat. That's what people who don't fix things say. That it's... And well, I don't have don't a problem have buying everything. a used car. You can buy you know, a used Sean, car. That's fine. That's a Sean, smart decision. Gonna, okay, smart decision. No, 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 buy Sean, a used Sean, car. Sean, when are you going to learn that? That when are you going to learn to let go that you can't fix everything? I'm trying to fix you on on driving around in a well, ratty I think ass that describes seat. Describes a lot of your problems. Driving around a ratty ass seat with hail damage on your car. It, how are you? It, it's not worth the money. Look, I could go. I could go spend the money to fix it. And what do I? What utility do I get out of that dollar spent? Nothing. Nothing. So I'm not going to do it with that kind of logic. And then I get the bonus. I get the bonus of having everybody who goes, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe you drive a BMW and you don't care what it looks like." That's antithetical to the BMW logo. Like that's that's a sin against Germany. It is. And I go, yeah, yeah, good. How it just bothers. Good. I hope one day, I hope one day that I am able to purchase a Bentley just to. Oh run my it. god! <laughs> I'll, you know what I'll do? I think you're lying. You know what I'll do? To you ever seen one of those guys do a homemade paint job on their car? Oh my god! You know that's frequently you gonna, the case you, you with Dodge Rams that have a missing door. You gonna put bumper stickers on it next? I might. I just might to entertain, just, to, just, just to, to entertain people in traffic behind you. I think that it's 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 such a higher status symbol to just completely disrespect the car. I think you're misinterpreting, and that's what I from now. Say, hey, the engine still works; it still drives fast. I, I, I it's don't comfortable. think it's sending the it message. Has, it has seat I don't think it's sending the message you got think it's sending. I don't care. I, you know, I put that energy and time into other things. Like what? That what, matter. Like what? I mean, what am I going to die and take my used BMW with me? What? 
Well, it's, it's, not, it's, it's a car. Yeah, Who take cares? care of it. Show some pride. I do. It's clean. Bare, what? It's clean. It's a clean car. Oh. I get it washed. I get it no. vacuumed. But I'm not going to. Four out of five dentists know. say that is not a clean car. <laughs> I don't think that's accurate. I think that you you saw it whenever I had um, a a backseat full of items to take to the Goodwill because I am a person who cares about others. So I'm sorry that your car is so clean because it's only for you. But I use my car to transport other people. Did you did and you say transport? I take. To did you charity. say transport? I you got the message. <laughs> I I also I also like how you called it the goodwill, you know, and, and, and who knows if that's what was really happening. I, I don't believe any well, of this. I think you're lying to yourself. I think you are not taking care of your car. I think this says a lot about how people live their lives if they don't take care of their car. You think I live a dirty it's life? It's an extension of ourselves. And I think that that's someone who cares far too much about what other people think would say. No, but Hey, we have a difference of opinion, you know? Um, and in the spirit of seeking truth on this matter today, we are talking to the co-founders of the truth sisters Academy, Lena Cisco and Ellie Johnson. Um, they have law enforcement and military backgrounds. So they're really tough ladies. They use that experience uh, and an effort and a desire to seek truth, to become body language experts, specifically to give women the confidence, the knowledge, and the information that they need so that they can make better decisions. I'm Sanger Smith with Sean Smith. This is Decidedly. It's 7 a.m. I just woke up. Hi, Sanger. Hi, Sanger. <laughs> Hi, Sean. Hello. Calling, <laughs> nice from, calling from Australia. That is the big commitment. It's 7 o'clock in the morning. Is that right? It's 7 o'clock. I just got up. So it's. <laughs> Thank you for. I, doing I slept that. on a little bit of makeup, but it it's looks just... great. <laughs> it looks great. What what town are you in in Australia? 7, 7 a.m. Yeah. I mean, where where are you located? Oh, sorry, Sydney. In Sydney. You're in Sydney. Okay. Yeah. My daughter and I were in uh, Cairns few years ago and yeah it's just beautiful it wasn't what i what i expected you know you know all of the uh, the pictures that that we see of of australia yeah. you know hit hit some of the highlights and uh they almost never focus on that that really tropical area so you don't have this image of australia having anything like that it was just beautiful very tropical up in Cairns. Did you do the Great Barrier Reef? We did. We uh, we were both divers, and so we oh. uh, we we dove and you know saw the clownfish and the giant clams and the the whole yeah. thing, and went out to the uh, the outback and uh, saw you know snakes and caves, you know <laughs> jumping out and grabbing bats out of the air. And it was just amazing stuff. <laughs> See, Lena, you need to come here. I do. I love my animals. And Sanger, you do too. Wait, Lena. So you you're working with Ellie, and you haven't been to Australia. How is how is that? We have, we've never met face to face. We've never met. Are you kidding? No. How did so? How did you meet then? <laughs> Ellie, take it away. Tell me that. Uh, okay. So <laughs> so it was a few years ago, and um, I was watching a TED talk in my lounge room, 
and I saw this incredible woman on the stage in the TED Talk and she was talking about how she was used to be a military interrogator and intelligence officer and how she used to interrogate terrorist suspects at Guantanamo Bay. Wow, fantastic. So I'd been all about truth and lies for a long time, so I was fascinated to hear what she had to say. And after I watched that, I got her book uh, called You're Lying, and I just felt this connection to this woman. I, I felt like I knew her from another life. And she felt like my truth sister because I'd been working all around truth and lies Perfect. and human behavior and detecting deception, etc. So I got in touch with her, expecting her to be, to not answer, expecting her to say, I'm too busy, I'm too this. But we connected and we've been connected ever since. And, and just this year or last year, we uh, formed a business partnership together called mm -hmm. the Truth Sisters Academy. So we are Truth Sisters. So we haven't Perfect. met in person. <laughs> what 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 does Truth Sisters do? You know, I, I saw that in the bio as I was reading the show notes. I, I, I saw that, but I had to ask, what what in the world is, the, is Truth, Truth Sisters? Sisters? <laughs> Take it away, Lena. So it's a tribe, and what we do is we've came together. Now, she Ellie has a law enforcement background, have a military intelligence background, but we both use the same techniques to get the truth, right? But in our world, we used it in essence to stop bad people from doing bad things and locking them up. But we thought, you know, we have so many great skills that we can empower people with outside of investigations in law enforcement and military. So we came together, and we're also very pro like women entrepreneurs and, and to help out women to find that confidence to really seek the truth to go after what they want and ellie said oh my gosh we need to create a truth sisters academy a truth sister tribe and so that's what we're doing and so it's a group of women and we are launching our program it's a 12-month program coming up and it's meant to just give these skills that we have used for two decades, over two decades, to help women go after what they want, go after the respect that they deserve, and get the truth. But you can't get the truth unless you know how to. And all of that wraps up into helping people, especially women in our case, make the right decision, right? You need that information to be able to make the right decisions in life. So Sean and I obviously are not women, but I do know a woman. <laughs> that's your job qualification you know a woman yeah, <laughs> perfect i met i met right. one um she ran away screaming but that was some that was obvious body language that mm. i was able to read bravo, um, bravo. yeah <laughs> i think she likes me whenever whenever you decided that that you wanted to focus on on education coaching for, for women, what was it that you knew was obviously missing in messaging for women? Oh my gosh. Well, Ellie, I think Ellie can take this one because her, she has a story which really kind of carved the path for this. And so I'm going to kick it over to her. Yeah, I've got lots of stories actually. But um, the story I think Lena's referring to goes back to when I was in the police force and mm -hmm. I graduated from the Victoria Police Academy here in Australia at the tender age of 22. And I thought, you think at 22 that you know everything, but you look back and you realise you know nothing. And they gave me a gun, they gave me handcuffs, they set me out on the streets and said, go, go be a police officer. And this one particular day, about uh, two years into the job, we were, we were working night shift and we went to a job where a woman was, was bashed. Um, that's the short version. But uh, 
we went into this house and there was blood everywhere. The flatmate had came, come home and said, I don't know, where, don't know where my flatmate is. There's blood all over the house. And we, my partner and I walked up the stairs with the ambulance officers, not knowing what we were going to see. We got to the top of the stairs and this woman's in her bed, bashed. Um, she wasn't dead, but blood everywhere. And the ambulance officer said something that stuck in my head all these years later. And he said, looks like she trusted the wrong guy. Mm. Now, you could dissect that and say that wasn't very <laughs> um, appropriate or where does that fit in? But those words look like, looks like she trusted the wrong guy stuck in my head. And, and I look back on that now and I realise the path that took me to where I am today, working with women to help understand who to trust and who not to trust, who to move towards, who to move away from, mm -hmm. how to keep yourself safe. I do a lot of work in the dating scene, people that are dating and how to, to read the signs to, to move forward or to get out of there and to stay safe, but also in business in, in areas too. So, you know, there's certain things I think that happen to us in life that really shape our decisions on where to move to, even if we're not consciously aware of them. So that was a big one for me. Yeah, so, and when, I, you know, one of the things we want to focus on when we look at this this podcast is all, all about decision making, just sort yeah. of learning from the wisdom and experience of people from diverse fields and sort of taking that, distilling that and saying, what can we take away from that to be able to use that in our lives to help make better decisions? So when you look at body language and reading that, you know, I love what you said about, you know, who to, who to sort of attract to, who to you know, come away from, <laughs> what, what decisions does somebody need to make? when they're interpreting body language and, and, and what what things would you tell somebody to help defeat sort of bad body language interpretation decision making? Lena? So, all right, so we look at body language twofold, right? Internally and externally. So number one is you have to be aware of your own body language. So you have to be aware of how you come across to people. Are you closed off? Are you open? Uh, do you look insecure? Are you confident? Because that is going to kind of make or break the situation you're in, right? Confidence attracts people. And if you're really going after a promotion, if you're going after um, or having a challenging conversation, you have to have that confidence with you um, to be heard, to be seen, to have the confidence to speak up. So you can gain confidence just by positioning your body, right? And you've seen Amy Cuddy's TED Talk. She talked about power poses. That stuff is real. You can actually position your body and suppress cortisol. And once you do that, you not only look confident, but you feel confident and confidence attracts people, right? So that's number one internally, but externally, it's reading everything. It's breaking through the myths that are out there. Uh, you know, you revert eye contact, you're lying. That stuff doesn't exist. And unless you really know how to accurately analyze body language, language, not just read it, but analyze all of these indicators you're seeing, that's when you make the determination, yes, I can trust you. No, I cannot trust you. Yes, you're invited into my inner circle. No, you're on the outside and you're going to stay on the outside. Okay. So I have a question on the cortisol issue. So yeah. if I would assume that an open posture is going to help lower cortisol or a more comfortable mm -hmm. Uh, body yeah. framework, or if you're mirroring the person, mm -hmm. that's going to make you more comfortable in that natural setting. Is, am I on the right track there? You are on the right track. Yes. Okay. So in the lowering of the cortisol, then you're going to speak more, I guess, authentically. Uh, your blood pressure, heart rate's going to going to go down. You're going to be able to think more clearly, make better decisions in that interaction. Okay. Yes. Are there are there things that you can do? that would have the same effect externally on, on the other person 
so that you can get them to a better decision-making framework as well. Absolutely. So there's this thing called mirror neurons and it's, um, or emotional contagion, right? It's how I feel and how I position myself. I can actually encourage you to feel the same way. So if I'm confident and I'm speaking and thinking with my prefrontal cortex versus my limbic brain, um, I'm authentic. I have this um, demeanor of openness. I'm very comfortable. I'm relaxed. At some point, you're going to start to mirror me and you're going to become relaxed. I use this in countless interrogations when I was with people who would try to push my buttons or try to antagonize me or coax me into an argument. All I had to do is maintain that level of calmness and confidence. And at some point they mirror that demeanor and start to settle down. So when they're settled, now they're outside of their limbic brain and they're making more informed decisions. How do you actually decide to do those things when maybe you're already kind of in um, a tailspin of heightened levels of cortisol and and tightening up and closing off and internally you're freaking Mm -hmm. out? It sounds really easy to say, okay, well, I'm just going to be calm. (laughs) (laughs) But I would have done that a long time ago. Do you mean for you, Sangha? So if that's how you're feeling? I mean, for me right now, I'm nervous. (laughs) Y'all know how to shoot guns and beat people up. (laughs) Haven't done it for a long time. But but I think think it is, um, I think it's self-awareness comes to that and also having Mm -hmm. some, like today I'm nervous because my lights in my little office one of them blew out. So I've got a silly light here and I know it's not working for me. <laughs> Plus the air condition is not working and I'm hot. Ooh. Lena's saying how cold she I'm was before. Freezing. I'm hot. <laughs> <laughs> so when you have those factors contribute to you and you've got to be aware mm-hmm. of those things, those factors um, can contribute to how you feel. So thinking about what, mm. can, what can you control externally to help you feel more comfortable, which will help you feel more confident. So being aware, so, so at the moment, I feel nervous, not because I don't like talking to you, but because some things went wrong and I have to be aware of that and the impact of that and then just bring myself back into a a more calm state. So lots of different Mm -hmm. things can impact how we feel. Some of them are up here in our head and some of them are external and and just being aware of the impact of that and having some strategies to to move past that can help as well. Mm So I'm, I'm interested, Lena, when you were talking about doing interrogations, you were finding that people that you were interrogating were trying to, you said, trying to push your buttons oh. and, and antagonate, antagonize you. You, mm-hmm. you found that often? Very often. And that was when I was in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. But it was also when I worked on the TV show called Couples Court for three years. I would be sitting across from a litigant and questioning them on accusations. And there were some who to divert off that topic because they had guilty knowledge or they were guilty of something, they would try to push my buttons, get me excited, so I forgot to ask a question or I would get off topic. So it's so, you know, Do you think that that was intentional or do you think that those people are just antisocial and and rude? (laughs) Well, it can be both. It can be both. Yeah. I, I think it's actually uh, a strategy for deceptive people. I have mm-hmm. I have kind of three characters when I teach. I have truthy, fancy, and deceptive. And truthy, <laughs> yeah, very mature on it. <laughs> truthy is the person that you're you're dealing with that is telling you the truth. They want to tell you the truth. They have nothing to hide. Or maybe they have something to hide, but they're going to tell you it anyway. Deceptive has already decided that they're going to not tell the truth. 
before the interaction, whether that's an interview or, or a date or whatever it is. And fancy somewhere in between, kind of weighing up what what's going on, yeah. what are you asking, what's the impact, what's the how good are you at what you do, all of that. So when Lena talks about couples court, some of those people that she would have been dealing with are absolutely deceptive. They're, they're going, no way, Jose, am I going to tell the truth here because I know what the, what the result is. So a lot of deceptive people, when they've already jumped into deceptive camp, then they start to think about strategies. How, how, what might I do? And often they don't do it very well. But things that Lena is talking about where, where they're trying to sort of steamroll her and, and throw things back at her, they're, mm -hmm. they're very much um, intentional deceptive strategies. Mm -hmm. I think we've all met people and, and noticed that they aren't authentic, whether it's the things that they're saying or just something is a little bit off about how they're acting. And and I feel like I notice that a lot. I feel a lot of times I'll, I'll point that out to people and go, ah, you know, I just don't like that person. Yeah. Maybe other people... Um, don't really see what I see. And maybe I'm just a jerk and don't like people. But I've never been able to consciously say, well, that person wasn't very authentic in that interaction because, you know, of where his elbow was on the table at the time he told me the story about. I, I got nothing on body language awareness of other people. I might be aware occasionally on a good day of my own body language. And but you're you're overassessing really your own skills there. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. So that. never. No, yeah, <laughs> never <I'm> aware. <laughs> I got some language for you with this fist. Later. <laughs> but I'm, I'm curious, Lena, where, what was a time when you had that experience that really stood out to you, where you go, "Wow, I can read this like a book," that this person is lying to me, and, and what were they doing? Well, I'll tell you this. I'll start off because I can't think of one particular individual because I've conducted thousands of interviews and interrogations. But I will tell you, you have to study all of the indicators, right? And you've probably, you can pick up any book on body language. You can watch a YouTube video, but you have to understand that people are different. So one thing that you see in one person may not mean the same thing that you see in another person. But there's one indicator that is probably the most um, accurate indicator of deception, and it's called behavioral incongruency. It's when your verbal mm. uh, patterns of speech don't match your nonverbals, right? So if I tell you that I'm super excited to be on this podcast today, but then I shrug my shoulders, okay, that's incongruent. Because a shoulder shrug every single time, 100% of the time means uncertainty. There, it doesn't mean anything else. It is uncertainty. When a person is being deceptive with you, it's not going to match the words. So if I say, I love doing this podcast, yeah. well, I'm, this is saying I'm uncertain of what I'm saying, right? But if I tell you, I have no idea what I'm going to eat for dinner tonight, that's congruent. My words are matching my shoulder shrug. Sure. So it's okay. If I look at you and I say, you know what, Sankar, I like that idea. I'm open to hearing more about it. But all of a sudden I've closed off. That's incongruent. You should be yeah. You cross your yeah. Arms. You should be seeing. Yeah. I'm open to hearing what you have. Give it to me. That's congruent. You even leaned back, which made me uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> it was like you were saying, "Get away!" Mm, yeah. like, mm. like I'll let mm. you share this dumbass idea <laughs> <laughs> just so I can hear how bad it is. But you know, well, you, you know, picked I up always on read something. about uh, people, you know, turning their feet towards you or away yes. from you. Yeah. Uh, in an in an interaction, how much truth is there to that kind of body language interpretation? There's a lot. Would that, of would truth. that be an indication of of uh, behavioral incongruency? No, that's an indication of the mind went somewhere else. 
right? So if you have somebody's attention, usually their belly button and their feet are going to be directed towards you because that's usually where our attention's going. The moment that I've lost interest, I may pivot. I may go to a door. I may go to another room, another person. But that's that shift that says, you don't have my full attention. It doesn't mean I'm lying to you. It doesn't mean anything. It just means I'm not fully engaged at that moment. When I'm in a conversation with someone, I shift and I get in line again, right? Because if it's this is a good conversation, I need some information from you. I need to have all of your attention. Now, if they shift again at some point, then I'm going to try another tactic. But that can just say, hey, I've lost interest. But here's the other thing, and Ellie will back me up on this. You have to baseline people. It, did that person just shift because they lost interest or they have a sciatic nerve problem and their lower back is killing them and they have to take weight off, right? So you can't jump the gun and automatically assume um, what people think and if they're lying because we're not mind readers. What we're doing is we're analyzing nonverbal signals and matching them up to the verbal words. Mm. And with that, sometimes transitions count more than positions. So it's not so much that somebody folded their arms. When did that happen? When did it align with? And also thinking about the the external factors, such as has someone got a sore back? That's that's why they're, you know, fidgeting, or they or yeah, they need to yeah. go to the bathroom, and that's why they're kind of, you know, <laughs> fidgeting. So yeah, so yeah. So one of the things I teach people is I have this imaginary voice on my shoulder that when I see something that doesn't match or something that doesn't look right or something that doesn't feel right. I have this little voice that comes up my shoulder that says, that's interesting. And that's just, I know, maybe I need some help with that. But um, that, that's just how I've trained myself. And I've trained um, hundreds of students with that too. It's funny, I, I see them like 10 years later and they come up to me and they go, that's interesting. <laughs> and it's not really stuck in their head. But what that is, is, is just to alert yourself that something doesn't seem to be matching or something doesn't feel right in my gut or something has changed or something, something. But don't jump to conclusions. Don't go, aha, yeah. you know, one plus one equals two, yay, mm. because it might not. But yeah. you, but the first step, the first step every time, every time, every time is noticing it yeah. because you can't do anything with it if you don't notice it. But if you mm-hmm. notice it, now you've got some, some something to work with. And, and that's, yeah, then you can observe patterns. Well, then you might, at least it, it, there's talk about decisions. It gives, you can make a decision then to ask more questions. Yes. to do more investigation, go Google the person, if you, whatever the situation you're in, um, you can make that decision to, to investigate more if you see or feel that initial, um, you know, conflict or, or whatever it is or, you know, your voice comes up on your shoulder. Sure. No, that's fascinating. I would imagine that that happens so much as a police officer. Um, you know, I... We have this TV show. I'm sure that you've seen it in Australia. Cops, right? And by the way, I want to ask you: d- Does that almost seem like a slur? The word "cop." <laughs> it's like I, you know, because there are certainly things that you can say about police officers that are not, you know, hey, uh, oh, oh, you were a pig in a past life. No, that's, yeah, that's an awful that's thing not, to say, right? Yeah. That one I know is a no go. Cop, it's like it's like borderline. Oh. I'm fine with it. Like, and you'll see in some of the things that we write in the Truth Sisters Academy, I say Aussie cop, former Aussie cop, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, former yeah. Uh, military interrogator. So, you know, we, we're kind of putting it out there. Well, That's what we are. I figured it's not that bad. I, I don't know. It's I just something. Like to, it's the hard P, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's so short and curt. Yeah. I, <laughs> you know, it's a one syllable. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so the show Cops, like you wa- I watch the show. 
And I, I don't know. I guess I'm gullible. Everybody says they didn't do it. And I'm like, oh, man, what a poor poor guy. He just got caught in a bad Those situation. Those are my drugs you know? in, my, in that pant. Those yeah, pants. That's, These are my I pants. I mean, imagine, imagine you were driving shirtless through a neighborhood you don't live in at 4 a.m. And, and somebody <laughs> snuck in while you were parked to visit your friend um, who lives in the windowless house. <laughs> And they they snuck drugs under you. So that would be bad. Any, I it don't happens. know. I guess it I, happens. I, I, <laughs> but but the cops seem to always know. They always know. So I, how often did that happen to you? Where you're you're able to? And I'm sure there are other clues besides body language, right? Yeah. Uh, the smell of the <laughs> amphetamines, you know, probably yeah. is going to be a, a, a key indicator. But how, how do you how do you how often was that happening where you can just tell, man, these people are awful liars? Well, there's a whole, and you highlighted some of the other factors and some of the other um, elements of that, that if this is happening and this is happening and this is happening and this is happening, it's probably that. And so yeah. you don't know for sure, but it's probably, it's probably that. I remember the very first interview I did as a police officer was like first week out of the academy. I thought I knew how to do everything. And it was a uh, shoplifter at a department store in, in Melbourne. And uh, my partner and I, who was also freshly graduated, we, we went down, we marched down to the security back room thinking that we knew everything and we're going to get our first brief of evidence and put someone in jail. Yay, we're so cool. <laughs> and, and so this guy's sitting in the back and he, we, we thought it was really old. He was like 40-something, like, man, mm. this old guy. And, and we, I just thought it would be easy. I said, uh, did you steal that jacket? He said, No. I'm like, crap, you're supposed to say yes. <laughs> like, well, I guess you're free to go then, yes. <laughs> no, no. All you do is ask it again. Did you steal that jacket? No. Like, damn. Okay, I think I think I need to learn more. And, and that was actually, that, that first experience was when I realized that they didn't teach us enough at the police academy. They taught, taught mm. us the basics. The rest you had to learn on the job and then dive into more learning, which is what I've done since then what do you guys think in your journey and becoming experts in this field what's been the most important decision that you've had to make individually the biggest decision i've made was starting my own business Mm -hmm. um, which was my former business partner is australia's leading polygraph operator so I, i as i said before the path was being carved out for me around truth and lies and human behavior and i left a good job i was a single mom with two little girls and I, said, yeah. and I said, there's more, there's more for me. There's something there pulling me. And I left my job to start a business. And everybody said to me, you're crazy. What are you doing? You need the money. You've got a mortgage. What business are you going to start anyway? I said, I don't know. It'll come. <laughs> so I, I, I <laughs> wait, you started a business and you didn't know what the yeah, business was. Yeah. I knew it was something. <laughs> I knew it- That's such extreme. <laughs> entrepreneurship illness just running headlong <laughs> well, I knew, into I, it <laughs> i knew it was something around um you know people and human behavior and their whole truth yeah. lies. like i knew i just knew it i knew it in every cell of my body and then after i'd left the job and started to kind of write down what do i want to do then i crossed paths with a former cop that i knew that i said cop and and he just come back from the states and he was a polygraph operator how here in australia one of the very few that we had and i said i'm he said, what are you doing these days? And I said, oh, I'm starting a business, something around interviewing or communication or something, something. And 
and then we got talking and then we, we started the business together. And then six years later, I took over that business myself. So that, that's, that's amazing. We're going to put ago. a disclosure in the episode right here that says, Sean and Sanger do not recommend leaving your job with absolutely no plan for the future. <laughs> do it, do it, do it. <laughs> no, that's such a cool story. Yeah, you, you really, I mean, you just knew that it was, you believed in yourself. Yeah, and I, and I actually say that to, to women that we coach too is there's an inner desire, there's an inner burning in there, but what we do is we push it down so often. There's something yeah. that I think that we're all meant to do uh, in this lifetime on this planet and and so many people start to look look at it and then they go, oh, I couldn't do that or that's mm-hmm. too hard or that's for the clever people or or whatever it is. And and I say, yes, you can, go after it. And what's the worst thing that can happen? If it doesn't work out, eh doesn't matter move on there's something else out there for you try it so so tell me about who who hires you guys normally you know in in this sort of body language uh, seeking to understand how you can interpret truth who's who's primarily hiring you to do that Lena so I train a ton of law enforcement, as does Ellie. We also work with the government officials. I train a lot of government agencies. I train private sector. I train one-on-one individuals. Um, I train other entrepreneurs. So it's anybody who is looking to have more awareness in human behavior so they can identify when somebody is misleading them or when somebody's trying to take advantage of them, right? So they can make better choices, whether in their personal lives or professional lives. So we really do have a wide range of clients that we service. What did, what did you learn from doing interrogations at Guantanamo Bay hmm. about, about that? Oh my gosh, uh, that's where I think everything that I am today came from. Uh, the first week I was there, I was taught in 1999, so I'm dating myself, and I am a Marine Corps certified interrogator. So I was a Navy Intel officer, but Marine Corps certified interrogator. And we had a repertoire of 19 approach techniques, and a couple were not so nice. They were the fear up. And fear up, as a disclosure, let me tell you, has nothing to do with coercion or torture. Fear up is instilling a fear, fear of the unknown. What's going to happen to you if you don't tell the truth? That's fear up. But I quickly noticed within my first interrogation, number one interrogation, the only way that you're going to get the truth is if somebody wants to give it to you. The only way somebody's going to want to give you the truth is if you treat them like a human being, regardless of what they've done. It's respect. It comes down to two things, rapport and respect. So in my first week of Gitmo, I switched tactics and I started creating my own method of interrogation. And that's what I train law enforcement in today. And in fact, my course is certified in the state of Virginia. And it's a six-part non-accusatory rapport-based interviewing strategy. And some people, when they think of that, they think, oh my gosh, I don't have time to build rapport with these people. But yes, you do. If you have five minutes, you have time. So everything, in order to get the truth, a person has, want to, has got to want to tell you the truth. And the only way you're going to get that is if you have some type of rapport. Doesn't mean you have to be their best friend, but it, ha- it comes with trust and respect. So that was the biggest takeaway. And I think everything that I've done up until that point with all my training focuses on that. It sounds like the military needs better training on interrogators. Because <laughs> when we talked to Eric Maddox, he said the same thing. He said... Um, and, and you, you, I would imagine you recognize the name. He, um, located Saddam Hussein, right? So as an interrogator, he said he he goes in and nothing was working. He's getting no answers. 
And he just has this radical idea. He figured it out on his own, kind of like you. Is, hey, maybe if I just treat them like humans, yeah. maybe that'll work. Yeah. Right? And that that's fascinating. Yeah, for me. yeah he, takes... he was focusing on empathetic listening, which I, which I think yes. goes to the heart of that, that where you're talking about treating people like humans, just sort of listening, you know, yeah. and, and, and not going in like Jack Bauer and saying, you know, we're going we're gonna to beat you with an inch of your life unless you tell us, you know, where's the bomb no. hidden, you know, that kind of thing. That's Hollywood. So, it's not real life. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So, you were talking about the six-part rapport building techniques. What yeah. What are the What are those six What are the six parts? Oh, if I can rattle them off. Well, I'm just gonna tell them to you real quick. But it, number one, sure. it's non-accusatory, right? You have to be non-accusatory. That means you have to mind your body language. You have to mind your words. Oftentimes, we'll use very accusatory language, and we don't even realize it. So it's really being cognizant of every single word you use when you're speaking, when you're asking a question, when you're using elicitation, even in your rapport building. It's also um, being objective, right? You have to be objective. That is having empathy. Um, that's being very aware, self-aware, situationally aware. And if I created my own golden rule that I train everybody in, and it's called don't tell, ask. There's a technique out that cops have been taught in the past where they will create a hypothetical situation or they'll say, you know what, Sean, I know why you had to sell drugs. You got kids to feed. You got six um, children. I know it's difficult. Why would I say that if you wanted to sell drugs just because you want to sell drugs, right? So you never soften up. Don't tell people what they did or why they did it. All you have to do is ask them. That is it. And they use that technique because they're afraid of coming out and asking that question because of the fear of they're going to harden up. They're going to put the wall up. They're not going to be honest. Well, you never know until you try. And if you started off with a good foundation of rapport and you have that respect, then they shouldn't hesitate when you ask that question. So that is one of my golden rules is don't tell ask. And of course, accurately detecting deception. And that's what Ellie and I teach. You can't just read a book on body language and be like, oh, I can, I know when people are going to lie to me because there's so many caveats that you have to know in order to accurately make the decision that somebody is being dishonest with you. When, uh, you know, when we, when we look at body language in, in dealing with clients, you know, one of the things that, uh, I've, I've heard people say is using mirroring. You know yep. that 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 can help put people at ease. Do you do you find that when you're doing the interrogations, are you, is that helpful, or is that do you do you want to have a a different kind of dynamic? No, I love mirroring. Okay, so you can mirror in a bunch of different ways. You've probably heard mirroring with the body language, but you I like to mirror verbally. So I will mirror the tone, the pitch of voice, the rate of speech, and particular words that people use. Because when I do that, I become more like the other person. So it's exploiting that similar to me bias, which makes me become more familiar, more comfortable. And in one of my litigant interviews, he came in, he was hysterically funny. So I thought, okay, I can use my own personality and use my humor. I love using self-deprecating humor. And he came in, my wife's crazy. I'm not cheating. You know, she's blah, 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 blah. I'm okay. Typical smokescreen. Within 45 minutes, I had him saying, I'm a male hoe. I'm sorry. I'm, I just can't stop. I'm like, it's, all, it's fine. You know, I'm not here to judge you. But how I got him there to confessing about a lot more than I even wanted to hear 
was I mirrored him and I mirrored a word he used. He was telling me about this one night where he was partying or whatever when the cheating happened. And he said, well, I had to change my shirt because I was musty. And I didn't know what that meant. So I go, musty. I go, I, I don't know what that means, Donna. What is musty? He's like, you know, body odor, right? And I'm like, oh, well, if you're going to use musty, I'm going to make sure to use that word. So a couple of minutes later in the conversation, I'm like, I feel musty right now because it's hot in this room. And he started laughing. And the more I mirrored his um, personality, his persona, his words, the more comfortable he became around me, the more he trusted me, the more he liked me. And then finally said, no, you're right. I'm lying. I'm a cheater. I was like, okay. Busted. <laughs> Busted, musty. That's right. Yeah. I'm not sure where I where I heard it, but some some body language expert, and I guess I, according to Sean, everyone's an expert in body language compared to me. They told me that if you cross your feet, that's um, you know that indicates that you're closed off, that you're hiding something. Mm-hmm. I guess similar to you closing off your arms, crossing yeah. your arms in front of you. And I, I noticed that I was doing that all the time once they told me. I'd just be sitting at a desk. And sometimes maybe it's even a table with a tablecloth. And I'd be talking across the table from someone. They can't see my feet. And I would go, okay, I got to like, I got to get this switched up. Even though I knew that they weren't going to see it and go, oh, yeah, I saw that same YouTube video. This guy's Sanger must be lying. It was just so uncomfortable. Once I noticed that I was doing it, yeah. I go, man, I got to really work through this problem. <laughs> but Sanger, we said, we said before, Alina spoke about baselining someone's normal behavior. So if yeah. that's what you do, what makes your body comfortable most of the time, that's just what you do. Some of us speak with a lot of hand gestures. I do. And Lena's quite controlled at the moment, but she does speak with hand gestures. <laughs> um, some people hold their body a certain way. Some people cross their feet. Some people cross their arms a lot. If I cross my arms, it might mean I'm closed off. It also might mean that yeah. I'm cold. Yeah. And, um, you know, as Lena talked about body language myths before, and, yeah, you can go down to the library, go down to the communications aisle, pick out a book, remember books before we Googled everything, and pull out a body language 101. And some of those books I'm worried about because yeah. they they say this always equals that. Mm-hmm. This always means that. So people read that and go, got it. No worries. So they, they get out there they and then that person does that thing and they jump to conclusions and they say, well, the book said it. But we're all so individual and we all have our own idiosyncrasies. We all mm-hmm. do crazy stuff with our bodies that we're unaware yeah. of. And so we have to be careful not to jump to conclusions. And I in, in my courses, I, I teach my students the three C's, CCC, collect, consider, conclude. And and that's being conscious of the data that you're collecting when it comes to reading a a person, whether that's verbal or nonverbal, but then considering what it might mean. So, you know, I I might look away when I'm talking to you, but it could be because there's a window up there and there's some birds flying past or it could be, you don't know that. And so you have to consider all the possibilities before you conclude. Mm -hmm. And you might find that you don't have enough information to conclude. You've got to go back and get some more collect, get some more data. Sure. So I would imagine that reading body languages is analogous to reading any other language, right? Whether you're a, a university English professor or you are actually illiterate, you still speak English, right? Assuming you do speak English. We are all speaking English and can communicate with each other regardless of what your own competency is at the language. 
That's got to be the case somewhat with body language. Even somebody who feels like they don't know anything. Well, you've interacted as a human for your entire life, so you know something. But my, my question is, when is completely out of my brain now that I've talked, I, I completely lost where I was going with my train of thought. That was such a quick ride. It was over. It came and it went. It was such a great question. I'm, I'm sure it was I'm sure it was really profound, too. God, it had what a really in the good, world? It had a really good front end. You, it I had a really good set, right? I yeah. really well. I set we'll, it up. We'll imagine that that was a fantastic down. question that you were going to ask. That was amazing. Best yeah, that, well, that should be the highlight true. reel. <laughs> Man. Um, yeah. I have no, oh, no. Here's what it was. Cheese. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, we're having a memory expert on next week. Mm. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. He can help I wish. You. So, how much of the fact that we all read body language in some way has made these dang Zoom meetings so exhausting for everyone. I, I guess it has to have some impact because it's limiting my ability to make appropriate judgments of you based on what you're telling me. Yeah, I, I've got some stuff on that. It's, that's a whole different ball game with us having to move to the Zoom world in the last couple of years um, because... I can look at you right now, but then I can look in the camera right now. So where are my eyes looking and why are my eyes looking like that? Looking yeah. there. So you've straight away that whole eye contact that we normally have face to face that we, we, we put a lot of focus and meaning on that's gone out the window because where am I looking and why am I looking there? There could be anything. And my kids are running around. I'm looking over there. So you can't use that to, to um, ascertain if somebody is being honest mm -hmm. on zoom. Uh, and then you can only see the top half of them. And then half the time they've got crazy filters on them behind them that are doing weird things. So you've got to so it's right. a whole lot more difficult if you're actually. And you'll never know if my feet are crossed. <laughs> never, right never, now. never. So, yeah, that's that that makes it a whole lot more difficult. So you'll start to rely on some of the other aspects of human behavior. Are they answering the mm -hmm. question? Um, lots of other things that we could go into. Yeah. Yeah. You can look so for. Go ahead, oh, I was just say expressions of emotion. So that's another incongruent, right? If I tell you that um, I'm super happy, yet I'm grimacing or I'm doing a snarl, right? It's incongruent. If I'm happy, I should be smiling or you should see that. So emotions are something that you can look for. But words are what you want to pay attention to. How do, you're talking about emotions. Are you talking about just in the in the inflections okay. of the voice, uh, facial expressions? Facial How is that manifesting itself that you're picking up on? Yeah, facial expressions. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you're interviewing, if you're interviewing somebody, it's a job interview, and you're asking them about their last job and why did they leave their last job and did they like working with the, the last manager, and they say, yeah, no, he was a great, great, great guy. We got along really well. But then you see a flash of contempt, which is one side of the face, um, mouth going back or lip going up on the side. Mm -hmm. That doesn't match. You, you don't mm -hmm. have contempt when you're saying that somebody is a great guy. Mm -hmm. So, but again, little voice should come up. That's interesting. You don't jump to conclusions, but you notice it. And you say that's interesting. Is And if it's important to you, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to ask more yeah. questions there? Are you going to go do a reference check on it? It can prompt, it can... So what do you, you, what do you normally decide to do uh, in, in terms of, you know, if you're seeing that, that's interesting uh, sign. Something, you know, there's a behavioral incongruency, uh, something that just doesn't make sense, uh, heightened emotion... What, what decision should you be making from that cue that is now telling you, hey, that's interesting? 
depends on the context of, of, of the discussion. So there, there's so it depends is the answer. But uh, in an interview sense where I've noticed something, I might choose then because I've noticed it and um, I've just kind of logged it, that's interesting, that I might continue on with my line of questioning but I might circle back to that and ask a similar question and see what the response is then. Or I might just put a little note, little, uh, a little triangle on my, on my notepad that signals to me, need to go do a reference check about the last job. I want to speak to that manager. There's something, there's something there. So it, it, it depends is, is, the, is the short answer on if you're out dating and you, you see that behavioural incongruence. So let's say, Sean, that you and I are on a, on a first date, right? Mm-hmm. Hi, hi. How are you doing? Uh, and been, I'm asking you. No one will ever say that. So this is yeah. So it was on the first date. So you know, there's certain things I want to know about you. Are you married? You know, and, and I roughly start to tell me things, and I get the little voice like, "That's interesting," because you, um, you know, you maybe you stuttered over over the answer, and then you your, your eyes flashed away for a second. Now that doesn't mean you're lying, but it's interesting. That's it. That's as far as I'll go in my decision making at that, right. that time. Right. Okay. So circle, circling back on that. Okay. That's interesting. I'm going to stick this. I'm going to stick yeah. a pin in that. Come back to it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. That that's so important to operate only with what you know. Yeah. Right. We can really get caught up in making assumptions about other people. You know, someone much smarter than me said that we judge other people um, by their we judge ourselves by our intentions and other people by their actions. And often what we do is we look at their actions and ascribe a motive to them or, or we assume their intent because I know that when I'm late to the meeting, it's because I had a really late night. You know, my kids were up crying. Traffic was really bad. Uh, the lady at Starbucks completely messed up my order. I really tried to get here on time. I did a good job. I really put this meeting first. When somebody else is late, we don't know any of those things. Mm-hmm. And even if they tell us those things, we assume, ah, you know, they're just, they don't care. It wasn't important to them. They think they're better than everybody. We do that all the time. And to, to say, okay, I'm going to actively make a decision to ignore the impulse that I have to judge someone based on something that I have no idea. I don't know that this person lied to me on their resume because they think I'm so stupid to fall for it. I don't know that they lied to me because they're a bad and evil person. All I know is that they lied this one time. And I can choose what to do with that. It may mean, and probably should, that I won't hire them. But it doesn't mean they're a terrible, bad person. It doesn't mean that they think anything about me either. And that's where the decision making comes in, doesn't it? Because we we want truth from everybody else. But do we really operate truthfully? seven days a week <clears throat> and I think we don't we 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 like to be truthful and we like to see ourselves as honest but if truth gets in the way of our goals then we have to look for another way forward and, that, and that's what happens if I'm if you're interviewing me for a job and I really really want that job but if I tell you all the truth I probably won't get the job so therefore I'll just twist this bit and I'll change this bit and I'll adjust this bit I'm still a good person that can do that job but if I completely tell you the truth, I probably won't get the job because I know that I'm up mm. against people that are doing exactly that. And for me to keep up, I need to just, just tweak a few things. And, um, and Dan Ariely is a behavioural economist at Duke University and he, he calls it the fudge factor. How much can we go, how much can we fudge and still hold hand on heart saying I'm an honest person? 
And, um, you know, he's done some studies on that, which are quite fascinating. And we can all do it and we all do it. So we fudged just a little bit, but, oh, no, no, that's not lying. That's just, I just needed to do that because, and we can justify it. So we all do it. What, what would you say is the biggest tip for, you know, it, it, as Sanger and I, as, as, as business owners, uh, you know, working with the public a lot, what would you say would be the biggest tips you would have for uh, somebody in our position as, an, as a business owner in, in utilizing what you know about body language and, and the cues there to help uh, interact with people better, to make better decisions about the relationships we form or, or don't form? Uh, you, you know, just what would, what would you say would be the biggest tip you've got around that? Train with us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get in touch with, and you don't have to be female female is just for the truth sisters academy we've mm. uh, we also operate under the congruency group is lena's brand and ellie johnson is my brand so um yeah we train corporates and salespeople and real estate and you name it so i think that there's two things right number one you have to know what to look for if you don't know what to look for things are going to go right by you and you're going to fall victim to a manipulation or a lie so number one is having that awareness of what to look for all of the indicators of stress and then there's stress from lying right number two is what do you do with it what do you do with it you have to investigate it you don't want to make a store up a story you don't want to fill in the blanks because the human mind does not like to not know information it wants to make it up if it doesn't have mm -hmm. it so you have to investigate it and the way you do that is ask questions so say that sanger you and i are in a conversation and i see a glitch right i see something that says that that's interesting it just doesn't make sense to me it's incongruent or you backed away or something happened well what do i do with it i don't want to ignore it because it could be, be potentially harmful to me so I want to investigate it. So all I have to do is ask Sanger, how did you feel about the last question I asked you? How did you feel about what I just said? That's all you have to do. Get clarifying information in order for you to use the facts to make a decision, not your assumptions to make a decision. I love that question. Yeah, how did you feel about what yeah. I just said? That's it's it's almost too yeah. obvious. It's so easy. Almost too obvious to to think of asking yeah. that, because um, yeah, there's a lot of times, especially I think as leaders, yeah, right. I I want to assume that people, hey man, you know, why would you, you know, why would you withhold anything from me? I'm here mm -hmm. to help. Uh, well, there could be a thousand reasons why somebody might withhold something. Mm -hmm. Um, from me and it doesn't even mean that they're lying yeah it, it just well it means it doesn't serve their goal at that time necessarily so we 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 don't go out and blurt out everything about us we we have secrets and we have barriers and that's that's human that's normal so and the other thing is to um sometimes we can disbelieve the truth so a truthful person can display behaviors that that body language book said they're a liar so we have to be careful mm -hmm. not to to judge a person mm. the wrong yeah. way and i think people miss out on on jobs some and, and different dates and various things because they're nervous or because something else is going on and someone has misread that completely yeah. and yeah so you can make the wrong decision yeah that that's uh, that i think that's really the key when when it comes to making a lot of decisions but especially with with this particular area is to only operate with what I know. I, I only know that Ellie 
scratched her neck and looked away when I asked her that question. I don't know anything else. I don't know you were lying. I don't know you were guilty. I don't know you were hiding anything. I don't know anything at all. All I know is that that was interesting. And, you have to say it in that high-pitched voice yeah. like Ellie does. That yeah, yeah. Just, like a parrot. That's interesting. You have to do it. Yeah, right. yeah, I told you, you it. Come on. Put <laughs> <laughs> down, write it. <laughs> You've demonstrated it so flawlessly on the, <laughs> that I, how could I mess it up? <laughs> well, thank you guys both for being here. I know I, I learned a lot today, so I appreciate your time. Um, tell everybody how they can find you and how they can, can can get connected with you. Yeah, uh, You can find me through elliejohnson.com and that's where I do all my corporate training and government training. Uh, you can find Lena and I if you are female and you'd like to join the Truth Sisters tribe. So mm-hmm. truthsistersacademy.com and there's a private Facebook group that is growing rapidly that we're so excited about. So we invite mm-hmm. you to join us there. And Lena? You can find me at the congruency group. So we talked about behavioral congruency, right? So that's why I named it that. Um, I have a site. You can also join another Facebook group called TCG Tribe, where we talk all about indicators of deception and body language and statement analysis, all that fun stuff. So if you Google our names, you're going to find a lot of stuff. Perfect. Thank you. Hey, Ellie, th- well, especially thank you for getting up so early in Australia. Yeah. I'm going us. back to bed now. <laughs> My takeaway from our conversation with Lena and Ellie is that, and it's something that I've I've spoken about before, but it really drove home today was to only operate with the information that I know, whether I'm reading body language, reading an Excel spreadsheet, looking at a resume, listening to a conversation with an employee, whatever the heck I'm doing, it can only harm me to make assumptions. So I'm going to operate exclusively with the information I know I can still get better at observing that information, like getting really good and skillful at observing body language, but I shouldn't make assumptions. There were there were two takeaways that I had. One was looking at behavioral incongruencies, you know, and, and looking at is a body language not matching the words or not matching the truth of what's you know happening there. The other was just picking up on those things uh, as as interesting and circling back, just making a mental note, sticking a pin in that saying, I'm, I'm going to ask a follow-up question on that. Uh, you know, t- tell me more about that, you know, that kind of thing. So those were the two, th- I, two takeaways. Thanks for listening to this episode of Decidedly. I hope you learned something. I know I did. If you thought our show was five-star worthy, please check us out on iTunes and give us a five-star review. It really helps out a lot helps people find our community and defeat bad decision-making in their own lives. Check us out at decidedlypodcast.com and on Facebook and Instagram at decidedlypodcast. Until next time, I'm Sanger Smith with Sean Smith. This is Decidedly. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Decidedly Podcast. To be notified when new episodes are released, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, drop us a five-star review because it helps more people defeat bad decision-making right alongside you. For show notes, decision-making insights, more episodes, and links to resources mentioned in this episode, check us out at decidedlypodcast.com. If you'd like us to help you make a decision, leave us a message at decidedlypodcast.com slash decision for a chance to have your question featured in an upcoming episode. 
For more decision-making content, check us out on Instagram or Facebook at Decidedly Podcast. As always, thanks for listening. This is Decidedly. Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Sanger Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers who are not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their own opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast was produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.